one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. It began in a surprisingly welcoming atmosphere at Goodison Park on the opening weekend of the season with Rafa Benitez leading his Everton team to a comfortable win against Southampton. It ended in acrimony with one fan attempting to confront the manager and others holding up a banner calling for him to go after they lost to a Norwich team that hadn't even scored a goal in the previous six games. The somewhat risky Rafa experiment at Everton is over with the club in 16th place and sitting uncomfortably near the relegation zone. Welcome to today's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi Ken, hi Murph. Oh, and how are you doing? Hey Owen, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Well, I did this game on Premier Sports on Saturday and... It occurred to me afterwards, we also covered the Solskjaer final game, what turned out to be his last game, mm. against Watford. Is there a Premier Sports curse? There could be a curse. Also covered the match last season where West Brom managed to draw against Man City, but then still decided to get rid of Slavin Bilic afterwards. So all I'm saying is, Eddie Howe, Claudio Ranieri, you know, you might want to avoid the Saturday 3pm kickoffs for the next one. If you do end up in that time slot, maybe just look around the dressing room, see if you're struggling to make up the 14 players. Tight hammy there, Chris Wood, feeling a bit under the weather there. Emmanuel Dennis, that sort of thing. Maybe you could get the match moved to a more suitable time, as seems to be the fashion among certain clubs, or at least so the accusations go. Okay, okay so there used to be there used to be a curse of the Bambino. Before we get to Ken Owen, we have to figure out what the name is for the curse of the Unbino. I mean, it, no, it's it, not that. It's not that. Well, I, I'll be workshopping throughout the, throughout you workshop, the show. You workshop through the show yeah. and then see curse we'll, of something the later Bambino. on. Better than what you just said there, which I'm yeah. just never going to repeat again. Okay. Um, poor old Rafa, Ken, huh? Pearl Rafa. Um, poor is the wrong word, really, isn't it? Rich yeah. Rafa. Uh, <laughs> rich Rafa gets richer. Uh, it's been it's been tough. Uh, it has been a tough uh, tough time for Rafa Benitez. I don't know if you saw his uh, statement that he put out uh, on like RafaBenitez.com or whatever it was. And for some reason, he always he prefaces the statement with an enormous picture of himself. <laughs> Uh, and then he says, we knew it wouldn't, wasn't be easy and that it was a big challenge, both emotionally and in terms of sport. My love for this city, for Merseyside and its people made me accept this challenge. 
but it is only when you are inside that you realize the magnitude of the task. From the very first day, my staff and myself worked as we always do, with commitment and full dedication. We didn't only have to get results, but we also had to win over people's hearts. However, the financial situation and the injuries that followed made things even harder. I'm convinced we would have been better once the injured players were back and with the arrival of the new signings. The road to success isn't easy. Sadly, nowadays in football, there is a search for immediate results. Sadly, <laughs> there is always less and less patience. Unfortunately, circumstances have determined the results and it won't be possible to continue this project. In any case, thank you to the board, the staff, the players and those fans who have supported us during this time. My best wishes for Everton Football Club. Rafa. So, I mean, I think Rafa puts his finger on it there. You know, we, we were... Uh, we also had to win over people's hearts. We didn't only have to get results. We also had to win over people's hearts. And maybe, you know, maybe he should have thought about it before he uh, he decided to plunge in and, and um, fight this two-front war. You know what I mean? Maybe uh, maybe he should have accepted that in the, in the tough um, environment of modern-day football. Uh, the struggle to get results is all-consuming without also having to struggle to persuade people that you're not a secret agent uh, bent yeah. on... Uh, destroying your club from the inside. Yeah, you go a long way to solving that problem by winning matches and then potentially winning some hearts. And like I said, he did get a nice welcome that opening day. They got a win. It seemed like, oh, maybe maybe it is all just social media talk, this Everton fans being unwelcoming towards Benitez. But then as soon as results start to turn, you could see the fans were prob- probably ready to turn. It is true. Um, but I don't know. You lose it. You lose. You win what one game in 13. That's sacking form at most clubs in the Premier League. So don't know if there can be too much sympathy for no. for Rafa. No, I don't think I'll do Lose to lose to Norwich. I mean Norwich hadn't scored even in a long time. Uh, obviously Adamita. You'd wonder how he hasn't scored. You know, how have Norwich gone that long without scoring when you see Ida playing like that? So it's just brilliant to see finally he um he manages to to score. I mean realistically he hasn't been doing that badly. You know what I mean? It, it seems as though he's been around forever and hasn't scored. I mean, he's, he's, he's almost 21. Like, he's 21 next month. You know what I mean? So, it's not like... Tw- 21 isn't, you know, uh, a youth team player by any means. And this is his, his first um, Premier League goal. But if you look at what he's actually done, I mean, he's played a total of, like, less than 700 minutes. In the, like, uh, basically, the amount of time he spent on the field in the Premier League equates to less than eight matches. You know, in in terms of in terms of minutes, so it's obviously hard enough to get to grips with. I mean, you know, you see Romelu Lukaku trying to get to grips with it, you know, and he's like he's nearly thirty and was just signed for nearly a hundred million, and uh, you know what I mean. It's not easy. So um, the fact that he's he's managed to get one at last will hopefully uh, hopefully make him um, make mean the next one. We don't have to wait another eight games for that one to come along. Yeah, well, we can talk more about Adamita in a second, I'm sure. Miguel and Dion on the show today talking to Ken about Rafa, about City, Chelsea and more. Before that, our World Service members would have heard us talking last week about the awful news from Tullamore, the murder of Ashley Murphy and the broader questions raised about the safety of women in public spaces and the role that men need to play in making things better. Just wanted to mention that these broader questions are something we are going to come back to in more detail on the podcast during the week. We're going to have that conversation in the next couple of days. Right now, it's Kennedy's report on sport. Why don't we kick things off, Ken? I, I don't like to editorialise for you here, but I, I don't want to just gloss over Adam Eda's overall performance the other day. He said mm. his, his goal was well taken. Slightly heavy touch, but that took away any thinking time afterwards. So he took his touch. Maybe he got a, hey. looked like it was getting away from him a little bit, but that just also allowed him to get away from the defenders. Look, and, oh, and you know who could have done with it? One of those Adam Eda touches, Daniel yeah. James. Yeah. You know, 
Daniel James, Daniel James could have done with one of those heavy touches just to take him into that West Ham penalty area instead of getting it stuck under his feet and get smothered by the uh, West Ham defenders. All I'm saying is, watch Eden, and maybe you'll learn something. Then a lovely finish, just kind of dinks it over at the outside of the foot. Happy days, great celebration, real fist pumping celebration. Like, absolutely, it was, uh, it was great, uh, great moment. But he was really good before that. It wasn't one of those ones where suddenly he's transformed by scoring a goal. He was actually very good before that. In a way that he's been good in some Ireland games. You know, he's played a couple of games where he, was, was he man of the match in one of them? He was very good in one of them anyway, in terms of one or two, in terms of his hold-up play and his, his general play. We hadn't really, not that we're all watching Norwich every week, but it's the first time I've seen him in a Norwich game and thought, oh, he looks like a real Premier League striker. Like, absolutely, that's what he looked like. And he scored the goal, which also you do have to do. I know you're saying it's only eight games in yeah. total. Like he's played, he's he's only, this is the first time he started three games in a row. In fact, it was the first time he started two games in a row in the Premier League last week. So you can't be hammering him for not getting a goal. But ultimately, you know, we do we do have a long history of Irish strikers who are quite good at a lot of things except scoring. So let's let's keep keep that scoreboard ticking over there, Adam. Good lad. Yeah, I mean, we could say it's his 27th appearance in the 27th Premier League appearance, but let's say it's <laughs> that seven and a half 90s. <laughs> seven and a half 90s. And yeah, that's not, that's not too bad. So that's great. And uh, hopefully uh, more, more to come. Uh, a lot done, more to do. Uh, that's what we, we want to see uh, in the coming days. I mean, it's the one thing that Everton uh, haven't been short on is, is feeling um emotional response strong emotional responses get out of our club you rat you know mm-hmm. the, it's been a real emotional roller coaster i mean the roller coaster at this point if you're on the roller coaster you're wondering oh my god i think i think it's broken i think it's going to you know it's <laughs> why are all those guys scurrying around out there with wrenches hasn't gone there, up for a while <laughs> yeah. there is there is that worry i mean that's part of the thrill of being in a roller coaster is you you, you always you can't be totally sure that it isn't going to fly off mm. you know uh, something isn't going to go wrong and and yeah there is that there is that feeling with everton at the moment and you know this is the feeling that i'm that i'm always chasing i am at the end of the day an adrenaline junkie <laughs> and what i want is to when i watch football i want to feel things you know i just want to feel as though something's happening and this is what this is what i felt so cruelly deprived of when i sat down to watch Manchester city against chelsea on saturday uh saturday lunchtime uh i i sat and i watched this game and you know it was patient it was high level stuff you know nobody wanted to shoot much because if you shoot you're you invariably lose possession and it seemed as though the teams didn't really want to do that. I mean, Chelsea didn't seem to want to do much at all. You know, Tom, Thomas Tuchel had been talking about, well, you know, we were very, we were. I was disappointed with how passive we were in the first game. This is back in September. You know, City won one nil away to Chelsea. If you remember that game, Chelsea couldn't get out of their half in that game. You know, it was it was a it was a real paddling they they took at home in front of the Royal supporters. So you sort of thought maybe this is going to be a bit different. You know, Tuchel's going to try something different. No, it, it, he was doubling. He was just going to double down, it turned out. It was just... And, and Tuchel, I have to say, disappointed me after this game because Romelu Lukaku missed the two best chances that Chelsea managed to create. And when I, when I say they managed to create, that's generous because what they did was pounced on uh, mistakes that City made and were able to funnel the ball quickly up to Lukaku, right? And this is... Uh, and now it's like, now Romelu... Do your do your Romelu Lukaku thing, right? Mm-hmm. And the first time he ran through and 
waited to pass to Ziyech until Ziyech ran offside and then kicked the ball out of play. Not good. Right? Not good. I mean, there was he could have maybe passed to Pulisic. I didn't like Pulisic's movement very much. I don't think Lukaku really saw him as a good inviting pass either. Ziyech seemed like a better pass, but he was offside. And anyway, the pass was awful. Not good. Not good. Right? Second half, right, right at the start of the half, um, another chance, bang. And, and I'm always saying with Lukaku, you know, he's one of these players who he's, people can't quite agree on him. He's got lots of fans, you know, but he doesn't have like a Ronaldo type record where it's like, it's untouchable. You know, he's clearly the best, you know, or, you know, the, the second yeah. best is maybe he's clearly in a, in, a, in a class of his own. He's not, he's not like that. He's short of that. You know, he's not, he's not sort of in that, Lewandowski, you know, Luis Suarez, uh, maybe Benzema, Cavani, you know, Ibrahimovic, these these type of just below Ronaldo and Messi level strikers. He isn't in that group for me. Right? I don't I don't put him in that group for me. Okay. No, not for me. Um but there are those who, who would. There are those who would put him there. There's a bit of debate. Uh, and what you often see about Lukaku is people saying, Oh, you know, you need to use him like this and then like examples of him like, you know, someone there was a video like I was sent and you know, someone had said, well, I think there was, there was like Lukaku's performance against France in the Nations League semi-final or whatever last season. Mm. A match I didn't actually see live because I think we were flying to Berlin at the time that it was on uh, for our show over in Berlin. But it was like, you know, Lukaku scored a good goal, missed a few chances. I was like, yeah, this, is, this seems like a fairly typical Lukaku game. I, I don't see the, the brilliance. I don't see the genius. Someone, you know, this is what he's good at, like running into space. You know, it's like, well, we're all, we all love running into space. You know, who doesn't like running into space? You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not that pacey. I'm heavy, heavy legged, actually can't make that, can't threaten in behind at this stage. I'm, I'm a 42 year old man with bad ankles. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a thread in behind, you know. Like I, I sort of. I'm like, yeah, you know. This is a bit narrow. To be honest, a, a striker of Lukaku's price, uh, his his reputation, his his skills, you know, his his assets as a as a footballer. I mean, which one of which is obviously his his build, his his physical strength. Um, I think he should be able to work in a, a range of situations. It's not just like, oh, well, you need to use him like this. You need to do what Conte did. You need to get him in these situations. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, just get out there. I, I can, I, I it's accept, almost after uh, the game. Sorry, Ken. Yeah, I, I accept it. like, you know, he's not like, you know, like a cannon in like the Napoleonic Wars that you have to like wheel into position and then, mm. you know, wreak havoc. But I, mean, like, I am a little surprised. Like, you're not the only one like pointing the finger at Lukaku after the game on Saturday. But like, Ziyech and Pulisic were awful. Oh, they were crap. They, they were, were absolutely rubbish. horrendously bad. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it, it, like, it is easy to just like focus on Lukaku. But those guys were actually, I thought, even worse. And that's what Tuchel did, Murph. This is the thing. Like, Tuchel's the one who said, well, he had many ball-offs. Of course we want to serve him, but he's part of the team and he needs to do service as well. He had a huge chance, so he's included in this. So it's not just, you know... Yeah. The, the keyboard warriors having to go to Kaku it's his own manager yeah, and of like course I they've just, had their issues lately yeah, yeah. Just, just a, like Ziyech who obviously has a ton of quality like he like he, he could do nothing right on Saturday morning yeah. he was horrendously bad uh, he, I think Ziyech is you know I don't really see why Chelsea signed him you know, so he, 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 I think they I do know I think they signed him just opportunistically it's just like oh this guy you know he's around yeah, he, he's quite good you know, he's been useful for Ajax but I don't really see him as I don't see him as that super useful in the Premier League. I mean, Ziyech is a player who, if I'm, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he actually did score a winner in a game against Man City last season. You know what I mean? So he has demonstrated an ability to affect games like this before. 
he he was not good in that game. But you know, Lukaku again in, in that situation, he's put through, and this surely this is the situation that you you know he's running into space, he's in that sort of right channel, he's got the chance to sort of open his body, take a left-footed shot. Uh, he knows Ederson's going to come running out because you know that space that Man City leave in behind. Actually, it's Ederson's space, right? You know, and you you know if you go in there, you're risking a brain injury because Ederson will come through and smash your brain, right, with his with his arse. Like he will do this, and the, then the referee won't probably won't do anything about it. I mean, that's that's been the experience of players in recent in recent weeks facing facing against Ederson. You're taking your life in your hands. You know what I mean? I mean Chelsea's goal against them in the FA in the Champions League final rather remember Ederson <laughs> Ederson just rushing out and Havertz just manages to sort of jump over him and that's what gives him the easy finish. Um Lukaku probably knows Ederson's going to do this, but he's got enough space that Ederson's kind of... Ederson can't do anything. He can't get to him. All he can do is sort of run to the to the edge of his box. And now he's miles out of his goal. This is such an easy finish. Lukaku doesn't finish it. And Tuchel, after the game, this is why I thought... I, I, I know that what all I've been doing here is criticising Lukaku and, and complaining that he's not not good enough to justify his, his fee and not good enough to score the chance mm-hmm. in the game. Tuchel hammered him after the game yeah. you know like in 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 self-defense right because the commentator uh, or whoever it was was it um it was the bt guy des kelly i think says to tuchel oh you know romelu he didn't really get the service and tuchel kind of interrupted said, well you know maybe he's got to like make his own service you know what i mean like basically pointed out you know he, he's got to do better than he did he, he had the chances and he fucked them up and you know we've lost the game so you know don't don't come at me about service for this guy and i thought yeah i don't know actually I, I think you actually do need a bit more than that. I think that's being unfair to Lukaku. You need a bit more. If you're saying you're only going to get like one and a half chances in a game, most strikers are going to are going to end up letting you down. You're going to end up being shaking your head at, and being very disappointed. Even at ones much. that cost a hundred million pounds. Yeah, yeah. I think because it's just you know the price is just is a function of of the market. It's a function of you know. Chelsea or club known to have a lot of money and need a striker, so they're going to pay a big price. Inter are like, well, you know, this guy's, you know, we don't want to let we don't let go of this guy, or we need this much money to pay our debt. We're not letting him go for less than X. You know, that's what the price is. Like ultimately, everybody misses chances, and if your if your game plan is only going to create one and a half chances, you're probably not going to score. You want to be creating more chances than that to score, even with you know brilliant players up front. You, you know, and, and Lukaku maybe he's not he's not Roma, he's not Robert Lewandowski. Sure, he's not in that class. But like you know, if they'd managed to make four or five, maybe he would have scored. Chelsea didn't do that anyway. So I've I've almost talked too much about Chelsea. Like uh, I mean, part of the reason the game was boring was was them. Um, but you know, otherwise, but it's not the Chelsea fans. It's not the Chelsea fans flooding your comment section this morning, Ken. Flooding your social media feeds. No, definitely not. No, I've I've got a lot of Man City fans, and the only thing duller than Man City's uh, era of dominance is is the man is the complaints of the Man City fans. <laughs> um, boiled, uh, piss boiled, uh, buy a coffee, uh, stop cry arsing. Oh, they certainly seem to have excited an emotional response from you, judging by all the crying you're doing in this article, etc., etc. Um, what did you I mean, say that has annoyed them so much, Ken? Well, it's like, why Why do I feel this way about City? Like, this is a brilliant team, right? This is the best team that we've seen ever in English football, 
you know, but the numbers are there. We can all see it, right? No one has no one has been able to do this before. Nobody has been this dominant before. Nobody has been able to put together strings of, you know, 12, 15, 18 runs consistently. Like every every time they win the season, there's been a run of like 12 matches at least. Up to, up to 18, I think was the longest one. 15, it was around 15. You know, just, it's it's unprecedented. It's, uh, it. we should be all, you know, sort of on our knees, like weeping, um, oh, God, thank you for letting me be alive that I that I was here to witness this the glory, the splendor. You know what I mean? That's really they are their performance is on that level. And that's just not the way that it's not the way I feel about them. It's not the way anyone well, anyone even feels about them. I don't know about the Man City but I mean the, the biggest sensation out of the game was was this was this from Jim Beglin. Jim Beglin, do we have a Jim Beglin audio? Well, you can hear the annoyance around the empty hut because the Etihad because the empty had he says <laughs> like the empty had like a you know a, a sort of a just like it, I I almost do believe his he, he tweeted oh I never meant disrespect my verb and, and he, he referred to it as a verbal error and I actually almost do believe it was an error it's like it sort of absentmindedly slipped out like because it's like it's, it's how not, you think of it it's how it's in your head something that's in your head can often pop out of your head and out your mouth yeah, uh, as is the case in, in, with that one. Yeah, you wouldn't actually say it seriously as a joke. It's not even. It's not funny enough to be a joke. Like it's. Uh, but you know, why is that a thing? Like it's because of that. Why is it a raw nerve for city fans? It's because of that sort of sense that this is a brilliant team that like actually not that many people are are excited about. I mean, obviously, city fans. Are, I've got a lot of city fans at the moment telling me, "Oh, we, you know, we're excited. It's not our job to entertain. It's not our job to entertain other people. You know, keep crying or or, or cry more, etc." Um, but what I'm thinking about is is the previous teams that have done what City have done, mm. um, which is to say, win four titles in five seasons. And not even not even that level of dominance. You don't even need to go that dominant. But just think of what were the dominant Premier League teams before this Man City team, and they are. There was three different Man United teams: the the Ronaldo team, the the treble team, and the one and the, the you know Mark the, Hughes, the Paul Ince, Rob Robbo, yeah. yeah, the you know. Psycho, the team. bastards team. Yeah, <laughs> there was the there was the the Wenger ninety eight to two thousand four. Let's let's call that one team, even though there was a couple, of, you know, kind of Adams and, and Nelka went to sort of Campbell and Henri. You know what I mean? But look, that that sort of that that invincible era of Arsenal, let's say, and then the Mourinho Chelsea, who were who who set the previous points record and set the defensive record and were just you know they they were real. You know, you were all pinned under our iron heel. Wriggle more. You know what I mean? They were, they were, they were absolute <laughs> ogres, tyrants. You know, um, but in each case, I just think as, the, as the, I feel as though, and this is subjective, and you know, it could be just to do with me being being a dried up old husk, as I as a you know, as I fear. Um, but in each case, they just gave you more to react to. I feel you know this this city team. Yeah, I'm just spitballing here, Ken, right? But, yeah. like, is there something about the fact that there, like, there is no indispensable player on the City team, you know? Like, obviously, everyone's like, well, what about Kevin De Bruyne? Kevin De Bruyne has missed so many games in the mm. last two seasons, and, like, they just haven't missed a beat. You know, yeah. like, the it's idea a, It's a is, matter of indifference, yeah, almost. Like, you know, like, the Imerick Laporte is, like, the best centre-half in the world, and then he's out for a, a year. Uh, they sign Ruben Diaz, who wins, like, player of the year Laporte comes back can barely make the team you know has you know is in and out like there's there's no such thing as 
oh, here is here are the central characters uh, of the city team that we can hate mm. on or have some sort of love hate relationship with. I mean, I, like I don't know. I mean, th- like there's obviously a ton of things that that filter into this, but mm. you know, just that idea that like there is no there is no way that the wheels fall off the wagon. You know, like they, yeah. they 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 lose Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, as everyone said, I think whenever De Bruyne got injured and it looked like a pretty long term injury, it was like, okay, well, how do they go about replacing De Bruyne? How does that happen? And like Gundogan scores like in seven Premier League <laughs> games. It, in a row. It's funny you mention that though. It is funny you mention that because I think Kevin De Bruyne is the player in the team that ex- that does excite me. You know, he does oh, something absolutely. like he did the other day, and he he does consistently actually. Yeah excite me as a footballer so uh, oh, I, 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 I'm not that, talking about the players individually no like, that's not dismissing you, your point Murphy yet but it, it is saying that it's not like there's nothing from this team it's not like I'm constantly sitting there watching Man City and being bored out of my tree <laughs> certainly when De Bruyne is there the chances of being entertained yeah um, or him doing something that maybe none, in, in a way that other players don't do is 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 there? You know? Yeah, he's like he's the undoubted star of this team without a, like without a shadow of a doubt, and does do brilliant, ridiculous, amazing things. But I, I suppose my point is that you know he's so good that it should matter when he's not there, and it doesn't appear to matter. Yeah, I mean he's he's played like half the minutes in the league this season, De Bruyne. You know what I mean? Um, He's, uh, you know, they. It's great to have him, but like they're just as good without him. That is a that is a scary thought. I've often thought about you know Riyad Mahrez's career, you know, and like, yeah, he's he's obviously playing for Algeria. Lost actually, yeah, so that mm. was a, that was great. But um, yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, another absolutely sensationally talented yeah, uh, like, footballer like a, who you wouldn't notice if he's not there. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm kind of like when he left uh, Leicester, I was like, you know. This guy, you know, like, what kind of career is he going to... Like, he's going to play half the minutes and, you know, it's just going to be a little unsatisfactory and, you know, this guy could have been a hero, you know? And it turns out he's had, like, a brilliant City career, you know? Like, he's a really sensationally gifted player. And yet, if he'd stayed at Leicester, you know, what would have changed, you know? Like, Leicester would be an awful lot better, but would City be any better or worse? It's really hard to say, you know? It's... yeah. And like that's oh, that, yeah. that's what's I, I I don't know I, it like it it is worth wrestling with though because you know yeah. the amount of times the city are playing at three o'clock on a Saturday would suggest that no offense well, to, I, to be honest I, I don't know what the story is with three o'clock I see people making that point in my in my um, Twitter feed I haven't I haven't actually looked at what their what their deal is um, oh and I mean you're the three o'clock on a Saturday I, presenter I no, How firstly often hang on a second are we disparaging three o'clock on a no, Saturday not at all like, but I'm just like saying that you have special knowledge of this <laughs> slot you're, you you've been presenting these three o'clock on a Saturday matches how many times have you had the opportunity to show Man City I don't mean how many times have you have you shown them I mean how many times have they been one of the teams that you could pick. I have no idea, Ken. Um, you don't know? No, I'd have to... Uh, li- okay. you're, you're, you're well, we, we're, 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 we're having a discussion here without, without yeah. relevant information. Without relevant information. So um, I will only say that, okay, it's, there's obviously the question of how City put together the team with all the spending. And the spending is, like, is just is a massive turnoff. You know, it's like, uh, for, for obvious reasons. I mean, you see Swiss Ramble has done the thread today uh, on Man City's finances. City, City are like the, the richest club in the world now. Or, you know, Real Madrid might be still richer than them. Who knows? But, you know, they've surpassed, um, it, it looks like pretty much, they've certainly surpassed Man United, um, which is which is interesting, you know, that they're making much more money from sponsorship than Man United, who are like a much bigger club still in, in, in my head. And I think in terms of the number of people who actually follow their uh, games. 
or follow their fortunes, let's say. Bayern, you know, Barcelona City are bigger than all these now, um, which is tremendous stuff. But obviously, you can't get away from the owner financing. I mean, as we know, um, it's uh, it's 1.3 billion in owner financing um, since they took over, which is a lot, you know. Uh, and I think that is the key reason why they're so strong. When you compare it to, say, the the Ferguson team with, you know, Beckham and Skulls and, and Giggs and these guys, uh, or the Arsenal team, which Wenger had had signed, like, players that nobody knew about, you know, Patrick Vieira, who, who was, like, an unknown player in England, and they, they suddenly, almost by magic, sort of had come up with this team. And then there was the Chelsea, you know, Mourinho, Mourinho was... With Chelsea, it was slightly different because, you know, Chelsea did have this uh, this aspect of, you know, um, kind of, oh, hang on, they're not playing by the same rules as everybody else. Uh, and there, there is that, which creates, I think, that feeling of unfairness. Uh, you know, hang on, how can they, how can they do this? Uh, this is sort of arbitrary, you know, the, 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 the league is now being decided by like arbitrary machinations of like international rich people, you know what I mean? As opposed to something, something to Chelsea suddenly are, are, are just buying everybody. But like against that, there was this sort of with them an extreme sort of pantomime villain element, like an extreme, like John Terry, Jose Mourinho, to some extent, Frank Lampard. Like the face of Tory privilege, right? <laughs> scoring, scoring a goal, scoring a goal every three games. Terry heading in corners and and just um, and doing his John Terry Lionheart thing. Mourinho, there was like there was an extreme, a cocktail of extremely provocative elements, which created, I feel, a lot of buzz around that team. With which with City, it's like. There isn't even that. There isn't even sort of an evil element. Like uh, there's a kind, there's the kind of oh well, here at City, I've, I've got a lot of money. Uh, they've they've obviously got all the best players. They've got the best coach. They've got the best facilities. They've got the best doctor. You know, they've got the best this and that. Um, and then they've got a coach who who after the game, Guardiola's comment was, "We allowed one shot on target in 180 minutes against Chelsea. That is so good." And you're thinking, oh, that's that's kind of the problem as well. Even Chelsea can't get a shot against you. That's Chelsea. We're not talking about, like, Norwich. We're talking about European champions Chelsea, billionaire-funded Chelsea, you know, 100 million pounds striker up front. Even these guys can't get a shot. Can't get a shot until until Lukaku's... That was the one shot they mustered in two matches. And that's, that's kind of nuts. And so it actually does have to do also with the tactics. And I feel, you know, like the, 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 the extreme... Uh, control like Guardiola was saying after this game you know don't they're they're playing for the transitions and we had to avoid the transitions Guardiola hates transitions more than anybody in the world like his his entire uh, his entire approach to football is about eliminating that from the game this is the moment when one team robs the ball or runs up the field oh no that's a that's a disordered moment in the game that's the kind of moment when things can go wrong for a team like Man City Guardiola's football is all about eliminating these moments from the game and what you have is the best players in the world playing this super risk averse actually conservative football and the result is that is games for for long stretches. Is it conservative though? Because if it was so happened. conservative, why did they keep getting caught in Champions League games, for example? You know, because with, Guardiola does some mad thing. Like that's that's the one the one Achilles heel of this team has been Guardiola's Guardiola doing some crazy thing in a game against against an actually difficult team. Uh, you know, against Leon, against Chelsea last time when he dropped his midfield. <laughs> it's like what? 
like you know against Liverpool there was a couple of weird selection decisions when they when they lost that game in Anfield um, and that's really been the only uh, that, that's been the only weak point but of course Chelsea City rather will eventually win that the Champions League as well like it's it's mathematics like you know it's it's inevitable that they will win that um, and I yeah I, I don't know like it's it, I, I feel like someone like Man, Man United are still like more are more compelling as a team. Like I was, I mean, I suppose what I'm saying is actually, is basically this: what that guy, the Alexander Skarsgård character in Succession, tells Roman Roy. This is basically what I'm saying. Success doesn't really interest me anymore. It's too easy. Uh huh. Like analysis plus capital plus execution. It's, it's mm-hmm. fucking anyone can do that. But failure, oh, that's a secret. Just as much failure as possible, as fast as possible. Just burn that shit out. Mm-hmm. Well, I... That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> failure. Well, whatever about failure. failure, like fallibility. The fallibility they had when, when Roberto Mancini was the manager. When Roberto Mancini was the Manchester City manager and he insisted that Mario Balotelli was a, was a player he should have in the squad, right up until the point when he gave up on Balotelli after that Arsenal game, a game that I, I was at. Balotelli got sent off at Arsenal. Did City lose? I can't remember whether City lost the game. And Balotelli got sent off. I remember Mancini absolutely losing his head. He's like, I can't, I've had it with this guy. I can't do it anymore. You know, like he'd been, he'd been sort of defying reality for, for ages by no, no, we, Balotelli will come good. And then he's like, no. And then moments later, or, or weeks later, Balotelli is the guy who creates the assist for Aguero to win the league for City. And this is after Mancini has been running around on the sidelines, screaming, pointing at each of his players in succession, screaming, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you to all his players. Now that, that grabbed me. City captured my heart that day. I have to say, right? That, that was the whole thing was just a collapsing in fire. Machini had completely lost the head. Everybody was going crazy, and yeah, I mean that was that. Was, this, this what we're seeing now is like. What do you want? Because because Pep, Pep Guardiola is obviously one of the, one of the great football minds of all time, probably, and mm. certainly of the last ten or fifteen years. And he's created really interesting teams, uh, uh, you know, and some incredible teams, and continues to do so at Man City. But are are you saying he could be having the same success in a different way, that there is an obligation to entertain? Or is it just that you personally are fine with, you know, you win whatever way you win, but doesn't necessarily have to make you feel good? I I think that it's a pity that the best resource team is also like the the sort of most optimized and rationalized thing. What do I mean by by optimization? Like, say, um, the way in which... The way in which Guardiola understands football is is completely different from the way fans understand football. So I'm I'm looking at so, so Guardiola said after this game something which I thought was interesting, which was I like I like football when when it's fair and when we deserve to win and we deserve to win that game. We didn't deserve to win at Arsenal and I didn't like that. And <laughs> I think to myself, Arsenal. That was like do you remember the scenes of, of mm. Pandemonium in the city end when they beat Arsenal, right? That was the best. That was the highlight of the season. Yeah. That that was the highlight of the season. And for Guardi- Guardiola sitting there going, oh, no, we really fucked this up. You know, this is, this is terrible. We played terribly. We've been hockeyed around the pitch by Arsenal. And, you know, we got away with it. Refereeing decisions, Shaka red card, last minute winner. Oh, you know that was that was awful. Let's not let's never do that again. <laughs> mean, meanwhile, <laughs> there isn't there isn't a shirt. There isn't a single. Uh, every single city fan is is half naked in that end, right? Because this is this is kind of what everybody wants. 
Like, people like end-to-end. And Guardiola's football is all about eliminating that. But is Mourinho's football not something about something similar? We don't hold up Mourinho as being the great entertainer either. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying Mourinho was a great entertainer. Most of the entertaining that he did was in his in his uh, off-field uh, zone. But he was very much about the end-to-end. It's just that it would only happen when Chelsea win the ball, and that's when the, that's when the game would go end-to-end streak. You know, we'll get, we're going to go bang. We're going to explode from our area to yours in ten seconds. He's not into all this. As Guardiola literally used the phrase, twenty-seven thousand million passes. As that that was these are exact words. I'm, I'm quoting Guardiola exactly. Then you, he's talking about Chelsea. They want transitions, and we've got to avoid that. And what we've got to do is not go straight into a transition when we win the ball, but do 27,000 million passes. To I think he was exaggerating a little bit, but his message is: pass the ball around lots in midfield, right? Get get your bearings, get the structure right, get everybody in position. Then we move. You know what I mean? That's that's what it's about. And meanwhile, everyone is like, do you want a point? You know, <laughs> I hear now. Listen, uh, I think they're they're just they're just beginning to uh, they're just beginning to erect this complex scaffolding of midfield passes. You know, I'm pretty sure I could be back from the bar by the time we actually try to put it in the box. You know what I mean? This is, <laughs> I I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating. I am exaggerating, Owen. Uh, and you know, you okay? You can see this. Something I've noticed a lot recently is is fans screaming shoot when a player gets the ball basically anywhere within 30 35 yards of goal. Right, which I kind of feel is like, like I mean, it's it's hilarious that they that they're doing this because it's like the fans are screaming for this at the moment when those things like dinosaurs are are disappearing from the game. I know you could say, well, De Bruyne. What about De Bruyne? He did he score a long range goal yesterday? Not really, actually. That's not long range for De Bruyne. You know, he's he's like in the D at that point. You know, he's he's gone to a great position um, to shoot. Uh, I don't consider that true long-range shooting. That's not what the crowd... I mean, every, everyone knows he should shoot from from there. Um, but, the, the you know, this this phenomenon of crowd screaming... Shoot, players are told not to shoot from, from out there anymore because you can't score. I mean, you can. Look at Andros Townsend, right? Literally, Andros Townsend um, scored... Remember that amazing goal he scored yeah. for Everton earlier this season? But, he, but if you look at Andros Townsend, like possibly his biggest failing as a footballer is that you can look at his shot maps over like the last millions of seasons and you can see all of the times that he's done that and it hasn't gone in <laughs> you know what i mean when it's just so many and then one of them flies in against everton and he's like yeah you know i always i always feel like I, i'm in with a chance if i have a pop and you're like no you're in with a 0.005 percent chance that's why you shouldn't do it right and this is why these types of things are, are kind of disappearing from the game that's what i mean by like optimization right so this is progress this is enlightenment like this is these teams are more advanced than the teams of the past which would shoot shoot from stupid areas is it as entertaining <sighs> well everybody likes watching those shots occasionally fly into the net <laughs> it's like you know that's 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 amazing like we everyone loves that uh, but coaches know that it's not a good way to play the game anymore so they tried to discourage it so city are like this the furthest along that sort of path of development i feel you know and that's why so many of their games feel like it's not even a game and i don't really i, I didn't get this from previously dominant teams even teams that have dominated to the extent that they have i didn't i didn't have that feeling of oh there's nothing going on here you know what i mean um and yeah, so so I, having put these feelings uh, into, in, tried to put them into words, uh, I've got a lot of Man City fans uh, who didn't, who don't agree. They don't agree. Um, but you know, I mean, Man City fans, I'm glad to be able to give them something to get excited about. I'm glad to be able to give to provide the this element of the struggle. This might be the most exciting thing uh, about being a Man City fan at the moment. 
telling people to well, cry more. Cry more. If you look at the Blue Moon Forum, which is, you know, a Manchester Forum of some repute, I mean, you'll see lots of threads about the usual sorts of, you know, things, oh, comments on the, the Chelsea game and, uh, you know, Ref Watch, you know, a good few pages on that one. And, you know, oh, have you seen the Jim, Jim Beglin called the CFU had, you know, uh, we don't care. There's like 30 pages of City fans saying we don't care. But towering over this, there are two threads. Uh, there's two and a half thousand pages on accounts right, which I suppose is the thread, I haven't read all two and a half those pages, but it looks a lot like it's the thread where City fans debate the finances of the club and convince themselves that nothing, that, you know, that City aren't doing anything unusual. Uh, you know, like, this is all, uh, this is all uh, quite, quite typical of any Premier League club. And then, the, then, then there's 1,200 pages on media, 20, 20, 21. <laughs> 1,200 pages. 1200 pages of Man City fans talking about how the media is biased against them and uh, and these are like the two these are the two kind of big uh, big talking points so it is good to be able to to engage in a little bit of this back and forth because certainly the team itself is a very very good football team uh, maybe the best I've ever seen and, and really there's, there's not much more to be said Well, it's great to talk to uh, Dion Fanning and Miguel Delaney on the show this morning. Uh, guys, how are you getting on? Yeah, good. Good, Ken. How are you? Oh, never better. Um, we should, I suppose, at this point, um, be talking for the next few minutes about the North London derby, but obviously it didn't happen because Arsenal welched on the game. I mean, they just, <laughs> they managed to, like, how, how did Arsenal manage to get away with this, Miguel? What, what exactly is there? I mean, because they, they got a lot of criticism over this. Uh, but they've they, they've had some stern words in response. Yeah, they've got um, a fury everywhere, um, not least from Spurs, given their statement on Saturday evening, which I was I was kind of surprised actually. I suppose the extent of it and the, and the direct line, basically that they think the rule is now having unintended consequences. Uh, Arsenal would maintain it's much simpler than that. Basically, that according to the Premier League rules, they couldn't put out fourteen players, and that's even with. That's w- without the Xhaka suspension or the two lone players um, ac- ac- actually being factored in. Like the, sh- the Xhaka suspension, like the Xhaka suspension should no, not but, be... No, but, uh, but it's not. That, that, that should not that, be that, does, that doesn't come into it. So the the argument put forward that uh, the Premier League specialists accepted was that Arsenal... So, but, uh, but by Saturday, to be fair, it went from one COVID case to two. But the argument was that they have a series of injuries that is the, the, root, the reason for this and why they don't have 14 players. And that those injuries were ultimately the consequence of the fact they had 11 positive cases, up to 12 now, since uh, the 21st of December. That that pushed the rest of the squad to the brink, forced them to use too many or players to come back too early. And that that's caused an injury crisis. So what the Premier League... 
because uh, it's it's not just kind of you know a few Premier League suits to look at this. It's um you know it, it's it's special. It's on conditioning and on on uh, f- f- physical um approach to rest, and it, they it was seen basically as a COVID uh, sorry a COVID impacted squad, and that was the reason he accepted. Now on the, on the Spurs side, I suppose, and, and around the Premier League, the feeling is that the threshold now for these cases is far too low, far too subjective, and there's this kind of. I suppose it's, it's you can see it in the reaction. There's a mood around football that uh, a lot of clubs now think basically that they're due a postponement, especially if they've suffered one before. Uh, but Arsenal would maintain it much more simple than that, and they just they 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 can't put out fourteen players. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I saw Dion that David Moyes was whinging about the schedule as well yesterday um, after his team lost three two to Leeds. But I, I mean. Leeds, of all the teams to whinge after a game that you've lost, Leeds are a team which this season has capped or capped given eight teenage players their debuts, which no one's ever done before in the Premier League, because they've had because the squad has basically been decimated through you know for for most of the last six or seven weeks, um, and they've just got on with it. They've just got on with it, played, been beaten seven nil. You know, been 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 thrashed by everybody. Uh, they finally come and, and win a game at West Ham, and all they all they have to listen to is David Moyes whinging about having to play Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. The lesson is that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, yeah, and I think like Leeds had fifteen-year-old uh, Archie Gray on the bench uh, at West Ham, so they they did. No, they did have a postponement uh, earlier this month, but um, I think it's just one of these areas now which is becoming. Uh, impossible like i think i think the you know, impossible to kind of regulate with any satisfaction to anybody because each i think it's right that the premier league take it as they say they're going to do it on a case by case basis because any kind of hard and fast rule would tend to would possibly be even more uh and um, contentious but like the arsenal stuff you know it's it's almost like you know like and I, Miguel, Miguel's point about what the you know the specialists looked at and the and the effects of COVID on the other players it's like it's not just COVID it's like it's like again we're we're tapping into the kind of broader conversation in football like it's like COVID and and comorbidities you know what I mean it's not necessarily just COVID like were they were they were they ruled out you know uh, with COVID or 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 of COVID you know what I mean like it's. Uh, it's all the, all this stuff, and yet it does seem to be um, ridiculous at a situation when you you have one COVID case. You're you're also citing players at, at uh, Afcon, um, which is ridiculous. Like it's a you know this is something that you know is coming, you know is happening. Uh, it's it's not really it shouldn't be the Premier League's responsibility to somehow factor that in. Um, to any kind of fixture rearrangement, uh, and and yet and then you you uh, you get you get David Moyes. Then I know I like sounding pretty. Um, it was a pretty pathetic kind of line. You know, it, it, like complaint Moyes had about Leeds and about playing on a on a Sunday previous Sunday in a cup match mm. um, against Leeds, and then against Leeds, and then on a Wednesday. Wednesday well, I, I listened to his interview and I was like, my God, this is outrageous. Did they play on Friday night mm. or something? Mm. You know, because I couldn't remember. The, and I was like, you know, so they played Wednesday. <laughs> Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah and it's, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is the Champions League schedule, 
Moisey. Um, this is what you're aiming for, you know. Um, and you're there in the Europa League. They have this schedule all the time or, or, or worse. So it did seem to be... Uh, and again, like even this line of, you know, what Leeds are the last team you want to be playing with uh, tired and weary bodies. Leeds is 15-year-old um, substitute. Yeah, but also like that Leeds... Um, like everyone knows how Leeds play, and Leeds were fantastic uh, on Sunday. But they're also a team that you could actually say, well, there's a lot, of, lot to be said for playing with some. You know, they're a team that give you an opportunity, no matter when you play them, how you, you know, how you play them. You're always going to feel that you've got a chance against Leeds. So uh, I thought that was um, kind of opportunistic from Moyes, really, because it's not, it's not the reason why they lost, and but it does point to. The problem with this uh, as as it goes forward, and also then that it's also becoming some sort of kind of crazy tribal fans thing, yeah. with, with you know, which goes back to the Arsenal, Liverpool getting the game postponed against Arsenal, uh, and you know now Arsenal reacting the way they have to this. Well, Liverpool, Liverpool obviously pulled the wool over the authorities' eyes with their uh, fake fake positives or yeah, whatever and the Arsenal should be posting a selfie of their you know Premier League postponement <laughs> but the, pre- the, 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 the league didn't look into the Liverpool scandal which you know which which it doesn't surprise you really does it and they, they, they apparently concluded there was nothing to look into but it doesn't surprise you really does it we're getting away from the tribal stuff because let's, let's talk about some a game that actually did happen uh, and this was Man City against Chelsea uh, at 12.30 on Saturday uh, Miguel, you you made the journey up to Manchester for this one, um, which obviously ended up with a with a with a win for Man City, and and uh, they ended the day with a thirteen point lead, which has since been cut to eleven points, but uh, they look well in control. Just on the on the tribalism issue, this is a huge match between two of the um, best teams in the world, I suppose. Certainly, the two of the pre you know preseason favourites uh, for the league. Did you do you get much of a sense of tribalism? Do you get much of a sense of Morbo when Manchester City play Chelsea? No, not really. In fact, I think there's much more between the or the, at least there has up to recent seasons there's been more tension between the club hierarchies than there has been the fans. To be fair, there was a little bit at the start of the game when uh, Chelsea fans brought up um, a lot of inflatable Champions League trophies and started to parade them around at the City fans and you know European champions. You'll never sing that and all the rest of it. Or we know what we are. Uh, that quickly dissipated as City basically just strangled all life out of the game, uh, and then there was a bit more about kind of being English champions. But no, it, it, it's not exactly too um, too febrile. You feel, you put it in sinister terms, Miguel. Uh, strangled all life out of the game. Uh, why do you use such dark language to describe what was a fine performance from Pep Guardiola's team? Well, it's just, um, it's literally more of the same, isn't it? Well, well, just, you know... I, they, they, they did to the game well, what they've done to the Premier League, except without the massive gap, which is just kind of true, technically excellent football, just pick, pick away at it until it all fell away and they proved their superiority without there being too much, you know, vigour or excitement or kind of or, or, or blood about it, I suppose. Uh, now, uh, do, do, do Chelsea not have yeah. to? Do, 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 do Chelsea not? It takes two to tango. I mean, and Chelsea's approach. I mean, Thomas Tuchel before this game was all, oh, you know, I don't like how passive we were in the first game. So we're going to be even more passive in this in this case. Is that, is that what I was about? To say, I mean, it's it's not all on City in that regard, especially given Chelsea are one are one of the 
the very few clubs in Europe that could feasibly compete with City, given their oligarch owned. Um, and you know, almost to kind of reflect their own failings, there was uh, Kepa for the goal, which a brilliant De Bruyne strike was. He probably could have done better with it. And also the fact that, as you say, Chelsea's attack, this what is especially this attack, Pulisic, Ziyech and Lukaku, all three of those players have come in for massive money, uh, particularly Lukaku, uh, and they were bad individually and uh, even worse together on the day. It was a really strange performance and attack. Um, even There was one moment in the second half as well. I remember just thinking to myself, um, Tuchel obviously wants to play some way on the counter-attack here. Because that's, I mean, you could you pretty much have to against City, no matter how good you are, because they will just dominate the ball. So you have to react to that. And, and there was, they finally got a break in the second half. This is before the De Bruyne goal. I remember just thinking how how much Ziyech slowed it down, which made it kind of baffling to me why he didn't go with Werner on both, on both sides of Lukaku, or, or certainly okay, the pace of Werner and Pulisic around someone else. Uh, but like it was pretty much you know, a little a little bit of a twist, given given how well. Tuchel set them up against City last season with three wins in a row. This is this isn't just two defeats in a row. It's been two games where they've looked a fair bit off, and it's been a really kind of um, blunt Chelsea in both of those games. Yeah, what did you make of it, John? Uh, were you were you blown away by by City's superiority? <laughs> um, I, I thought Chelsea were pathetic, really. Um, uh, like they really were. I agree with what Miguel is saying. Like they. They had to do something. They really, and you can see what Tuchel is thinking. That if they somehow, again, it's 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 a it's a cautious approach. But if they if they can somehow take one of the very few chances that come to them, which is maybe why he was so critical of Lukaku afterwards, um, then there, there, there's there's a, a chance. But but they're not plucky little Chelsea. Like they're not a team. Uh, you know they're not a team from the bottom. You know at the bottom of the table they are, as Miguel said, one 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 of the super clubs. One of the reasons uh, football is in the condition it's in, and for for that lack of adventure to be present um, in them I, it, it is very disappointing. I and I think with City, I think it it is very hard. Like I was thinking about this this morning. Like it's very it's very very hard to separate their their huge superiority from the the manner in which they have achieved that superiority because um i wonder if they had been like i was going to think like if you go back like you know to, to clubs like nottingham forest or something when you know when they won the european cup and they they were really they were able they strangled the life out of games too like they played some really when they won the european cup i think the second like against hamburg it was uh, like an incredibly dull um, performance, you know, and that, that was a lot of, you got a lot of European Cup finals like that, but that was what they did. But at the same time, the Money Forest spent money, they broke the British transfer record, but they also were a club that had come from nowhere. And maybe you looked at it as kind of, this is how you compete. Again, like maybe Ireland under, under Jack Charlton, like this is how you compete. Manchester City play, they don't play, uh, they, they obviously strangle the game in a very different way. But I think it's it's very hard um, to look upon it and look at, and and not separate how they've they've done this by amassing you know talent in in every area, and then you can say right Pep Guardiola is a genius and the way he thinks about football is innovative and and uh, he is always 
en- engaging and engage with how to evolve it. And that is all true. But you cannot separate that from the advantages he has uh, as, as a manager. I actually think the Guardiola situation is truly unique in the sense that there's never been a manager that's just walked into a job that's been built for him for about half a decade where they, they're putting everything in place. It's almost the perfect conditions to have. Added to that, Guardiola, I mean, he's, he's, he's literally only there because Chiki Bigurestein is there um, because he, 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 was always, he, he felt indebted to him after he gave him that chance at Barcelona in 2008 when there was a lot of debate around, around Guardiola. And, of course, Bigurestein's only there because City have spent an absolute... City basically... Around that period, just after after the initial takeover and after the initial expenditure, they basically looked around the game, saw what, as they would put it, best in class or the Apple or Facebook of football was, and went, we'll have that. And they, they brought in all the brains trust from 2008, Bar- 2008, 2009 Barcelona. And even as late as what, 2012, 2013, Sandra Rossell, the Barca president, was complaining about uh, City looking to employ Barcelona figures. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it can all be about the genius of the manager, as a lot of City fans would say. But that genius isn't separate from what they are. And I, I was thinking about this when I was I did a piece on all this for the preview of the game. But I was also thinking about this issue we're saying about the football. Why is it that, and like as, as Dion's referencing there, referencing there, why is it that this city, despite that technical excellence, don't kind of seem it doesn't seem to move people in the way say. Guardiola's Barcelona did, mm. um, and I, which, I, mean, I, which I, I completely agree with this point. So I'm interested to hear why, why you why you think it is. Well, there's probably a few. Ultimately, there's kind of the romance about Barcelona and particularly that Barcelona story. I mean, all right, Barcelona. A lot of people don't like them as a club, but there is there, there was something about it. They were previously always a club in crisis. At that point, they looked to be going to another one. Then you have Guardiola, the um, the returning club legend who is. A La Masia graduate, graduate coming back to take to take over this gen this great generation of La Masia graduates and you know reinnovate the game or sorry um, you know Reinvent. do something you've never seen before in football and of course all of this against the, the power of Real Madrid there is something engaging in that uh, and also I mean some some of the football city play it's boring. Or it can be boring. Again, despite how technically clean it is, it can no, be boring. it's, it's it completely, just... absolutely. It's it's the word. It's the word that you used earlier to strangle the game. I mean, it, it's like it, it's it's to erase the opponent. Uh, it's it's kind of like we didn't even have a game here. I'm delighted. There was no game. They had one shot. They had one shot in two games. That was that was what Guardiola was boasting about after the game. They had one shot in two games. You know, and, and he was kind of going on about as though this was great. And you're like, yeah, like thank God the game is over. You know, this, this is terrible. This but again, is not- isn't that why you can't separate uh, how they've done it from what they do? Because they're able to... Yeah, and, and that's because, as Miguel said, of, of, of everything that they have amassed. And, you know, we, we might get on to Everton, like, you know, spending money yeah. doesn't really mean uh, you know, like that you're going to be a success. But Manchester City have been really smart with what they've, what they've done. But... Uh, as a consequence, and I think one of the reasons they're so successful in the Premier League is because of all those things. Because because of the squad they have, because they've spent money all through the squad. And you know there are okay, Jack Grealish costs a hundred million, but it is a, a question of spending 
like deep in every position you also have very few very few tired players you very few players who especially and i think so importantly for a guardiola team aren't mentally tired so they can remain uh remain on 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 their game and that's enough that's enough to beat nearly every team in the premier league and yet it might might explain why when they come to the champions league when they sometimes play you know, when when like when you watch Manchester City play Liverpool at Anfield, it's a great game. It was a genuinely great game this season. But it may be that on on those occasions, um, that the that the, the assets they have that allow them just to 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 steamroll most of the teams in the Premier League aren't aren't as aren't as as useful in those on those situations. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's it's more difficult to beat to beat the best teams. I mean, they they made it look pretty easy against uh, one of the best teams on. On Saturday, um, you know the, the one weak point in the team that I can see that, that they've had over the last few years is Guardiola's tendency to just pick pick a mad team in a European game, and this is like the moment when I mean that's what happened to them in the, in the Champions League final. You know, Guardiola like played a mad team. It becomes madder every time you look back. It's like, you know, why did you why would you leave out Rodri? It's one of the most insane decisions <laughs> any, anyone's made in a, in a champ any coach has made in a Champions League final, but. What I want to try and get to here is this: like City are going to are going to have a fourth title win in five years. That that's what this is going to be this year. Now that is not an unprecedented level of dominance. Like we've seen that many times. So you know, not just back back in the day. You know, Villa, Arsenal did it in the thirties. Liverpool twice in the seventies and eighties. I mean, you, you can look at it different ways. But I'm talking about if you if you look, they did it. There was one period seventy six to eighty where they won four out of five. There was another period eighty two to eighty six, four out of five. You know, um, Man United did this three times. You know, ninety three to ninety seven. Um, you know, uh, ninety nine to two thousand and three, and two thousand and seven, two thousand and eleven. So, so you know, it's been done many times before. Is this any different? From those times, like Man City fans will say, you know, oh, everyone goes on about City having the most money, um, but you know, in fact, uh, back in the day, these clubs were were the biggest spending clubs. In each in each case, you know, Arsenal were the were the Bank of England club when they were doing this in the thirties. You know, Liverpool had the had the the Littlewoods pools money and all this. You know, and and United, we know what a commercial sort of giant they are. So it's just the same as as it's always been. Do you? You know, can you spot any flaws or in the argument there, Miguel? Many, many. I mean, first of all, if you want to take the points, uh, I mean, you're not, United won the treble with 79 points, which is like now it seems that would get you into the Champions League day. Maybe in some seasons it wouldn't. And, and even, even when United played in those years, yes, they got 91 points in 2000 and the runners were, they kind of streaked away with it. But, you know, as so many kind of late season surges and so many late winners speak to, there was actually a sense of jeopardy about it a lot of the time. There was there was a, there was a sense of unpredictability. Okay, you knew what United could do, but there was tension about it. With City, there's there's, there's so seldom tension, and, and and this thing. So this would be at the moment they're on course for ninety seven points. That would be the third time in five years they they bust through ninety five points, which is, which is previously the record, and the record for quite a long time after Bramovich at Chelsea. So it's a step up from that. Even the two seasons when they didn't get it since Guardiola's initial first season, which you kind of write off because he was still adapting, and then they spent two hundred million or more than two hundred fifty million signings that summer. Um, one of them would have been enough to win three of the seventeen titles. When they, when they finished second to Liverpool, the points they got that year would have been enough to win three of the seventeen titles that City haven't won this millennium. And then last season, of course, was a pandemic 
pandemic season where they still just streaked away with it. So we've only had one season where there's been any kind of tension, any kind of peril, any kind of jeopardy. And that was because Liverpool had to respond to this with a level of performance that was really unsustainable and probably because they had their own genius manager in, in Jurgen Klopp. And there is a difference with the money as well. I mean, yes, all of those teams represented, or a lot of those clubs you mentioned represent, represented an escalation in what they could spend in financial capacity in football. But it was still one that was in the kind of parameters of what the game was. Even Manchester United, who who were the first to really push this after the, the rules on uh, being able to float in the stock market were, were changed in the early 80s. They were the first to really go for this. And they were something that, that hadn't been seen in football. Um, so they, they, they really maximised that initial kind of post-fever pitch Premier League glamour and mm. absolutely milted for what it, what it was worth. But you know, the great irony was that clubs like Manchester United grew to a certain level where they had such a global size, such a kind of political and social capital as a consequence of that size, real global appeal, that then states like <laughs> Qatar or Abu Dhabi are looking at that, hmm, that, we should get involved. That, yeah, this, 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 is, this, this, is is quite, this is quite powerful, too. And it's led to this then, where you mm. have this... I mean, again, it really can't be overstated, because I think it, it does get away from people sometimes. And we look, that The extent of the City project is something we've never seen in football. And we may never again, given that... I mean, even Newcastle won't be able to do that because of all the various rules, even kind of the diluted financial fair play or new rules about associated parties... They they won't be able to build a structure that that, that speedily at time, which means which means kind of it's always getting away from them. They'll be able to, of course, make changes, put things in place, but never to never to the size of City in that way. Qatar have obviously been different, interested in something else almost. Um, but yeah, the, the, the City. I mean, I, you know, I wrote this on, on on Thursday, but if you were to imagine what a football club would look like with. You know the what what a state project would look like with resources to pretty much just afford everything. It'd be this. It'd be it'd be a, a team that is regularly busting previously unimaginable records season upon season, um, and, and, that, and that, that's why it is different. That it, anyone else has to be perfect to compete. Yeah. Well, when you think uh, back to onto the the uh, those periods, uh, particularly of Manchester United winning the league um, for four out of five. I mean, you you lived through all this, uh, followed it closely. Um, did it feel different when they were doing it, or, or was it the same sense of uh, of well, United have this thing cornered now. You know, this is this is going to be the case for a while. And actually, if you, if you think back to it, if you think back to that first United team that that sort of broke through, you know, after the, their long twenty six years without winning the league, and then suddenly they had this kind of Ince Cantona Keane uh, team that uh, uh, Keane actually only arriving for the second one of those those first two. He wasn't part of the first team, was he? Uh, that won the league, but they had you know this kind of pretty aggressive team that they had uh, with Cantona stamping on John Moncur and this type of stuff. Um, they were. It strikes me that they managed to provoke a much stronger emotional response from people than this city team is is managing to do at the moment. Yeah, they did for for all those reasons because they were uh, uh, combative and they had a, a manager who represented that as well and uh, and they were Manchester United for you know for good and for bad. They were like the most famous football club in Britain. They were. Uh, and 
you know, there are many people willing them to fail in a way that I think maybe people will want Manchester City to fail, but it isn't it isn't engaged in the same way. I think, but I do. I but but ultimately, maybe not with that team that came through then, but definitely the around two thousand two thousand and one. I think you saw a Manchester United team that when they played at Old Trafford, it seemed to be as as uh, you know as as inevitable a, a home win as. Um, as uh, as Manchester City at at the Etihad is, you know, and you you know, and you you do still do that. The same thing I think engages people today when you look at when Manchester City are playing. You kind of you you pay more attention to them when they're away from home, just as a starting point. You think right, something might happen here, uh, but when they're at the Etihad, it seems like well, this is a game that is is unlikely to engage me and i think there was an element of that with manchester united but different because of those elements around him and i think when you've had this power before and i think miguel is right but at the same time in terms of you know we've never seen anything like this you know this kind of jg ballard style kind of football club you know it's like super can like one of these kind of great uh business park edens you know like it's um without the without the without the dark side of, of the jg ballard novels um obviously um but but you know when you look at say chelsea when when like you look at chelsea in uh 2004 2005 and miguel referenced this and you know the 90 they got 95 points that season um but they seemed there there was more there was there was something there was something uh to kind of to to aim, there was something more competitive about them too, which was essentially Mourinho, and there was something gripping about them because of the man a manager who made everything everything seem like uh, a confrontation and a battle. You know, but at the same time, Chelsea walked that season. They let in fifteen goals. Um, it was it was a procession for them. And so you, and are it you was, saying that? And it was that the next season too, and then Mourinho imploded, which added which added that air of kind of drama and jeopardy to it, which you don't have with this deep, very, very controlled Manchester City side. So which, you you think that Pep needs to to introduce more sort of wrestling style elements? That you well, know, no, I don't. You see, why should Pep, like this is Manchester City are doing everything. Uh, I I don't think there's any there's any onus. There's no onus on Manchester City to change anything. Why would they change? The only thing they need to change is winning the Champions League. Um, I don't think there's any... Uh, like Pep's... And I think this has always been the case for football. Pep's obligation is to his team and to Manchester City and to the people who employ him. Um, and the pro- and, and the onus on, on football is to kind of say, right, is this working? And it's, it's not working when you can build it uh, the way Manchester City have done and the way they have... They're they're steamrolling the opposition, and I did think watching the game on Saturday, I was like, okay, um, maybe Florentino Perez needs to reboot that Super League and give it a tweak, um, and find some way of actually making this, uh, <laughs> you know, like like it, it, to me, it, it demonstrated how bad badly prepared the Super League was for for what came came next, because you know, for all the reasons, you know, the fact that it was. Tottenham were in it, all these clubs were in it, rather than, say, Benfica, Celtic, whatever. There was a way of pitching that as something that actually, there was a, there was a good conversation, there was a legitimate conversation to have about how football is going. And 
there was you know a legitimate conversation to have about it, what needs to change. The Super League, as it was put forward, didn't do didn't really address any of those things. But the status quo doesn't solve it either. Yeah, I mean it. It is. Um... You know, it, it they are they are a phenomenal uh, club, Manchester City, and you know I see Swiss Ramble has done a big thread on their finest today because they are also the biggest earning club. Uh, they dwarf uh, Manchester United now in, in commercial revenue. Uh, they're they're much hotter property. They apparently have fewer supporters, um, get fewer people watching them on TV, but nonetheless they do make more money from sponsorship these days. And I see uh, in the Guardian, Jamie Jackson uh, today suggests. Um, well, he's 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 he mentions that Richard Arnold is taking over shortly from Ed Woodward at Manchester United, uh, and James Jackson says, for a blueprint, the fifty-year-old should study Manchester City, who under Kaldun Al Mubarak's intelligent chairmanship are the industry leaders. And I'm just thinking, why doesn't Richard Arnold just simply copy what uh, Kaldun Al Mubarak has done at Manchester City? I mean, is there anything wrong with Manchester United that 1.3 billion pounds in owner funding over the next decade couldn't fix? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that comes back again to uh, how smartly how smart City have been in in how they've applied their money and how dumb uh, Manchester United be, have been in recruitment, especially because that's the. Uh, Although this this is a this is a, a key argument, but you know there is something to that. I mean, if you if you, I know I've mentioned the owner the owner funding there, and obviously the, the the point there is that Manchester United have actually had owners who have taken who have subtracted money from the club as opposed to you know adding it um but when you look at what they've spent because united have had a much bigger turnover for, although not anymore for much of this period you know the the spending isn't that different you know united are not far away from city but the um the results of it have been disastrous Again, it comes by one of the issues why it's beyond guardiola's brilliance and it comes into the structure he's in because if you look at city all their expenditure for pretty much almost a decade now really since since the since the catalan contingent came in um, the the recruitment was geared towards a certain model of player, which meant, of course, that Guardiola had De Bruyne and Sterling before he came in, and two huge players, obviously. Whereas United under under Woodward, I mean that that squad now, you can see, it looks like what it is, which is the consequence of loads of different ideas or built different managers, and it's just a mess. And there's nothing like to say, and 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 this all feeds into stuff like Dion was talking about how. The city squad is never kind of mentally or physically fatigued because they're almost interchangeable. Pepin can ro- rotate at will. Manchester United can't do that because every single manager has different ideas. Certain players will play better in different systems, and it's just it, it speaks to the total lack of uh, lack of idea at United. And it feels like actually that that's one thing that United need need to do. And this this was true before Solskjaer, true before Mourinho. It's why. The kind of the, the wild difference between all the manager appointments have been so important beyond the quality of the managers. It's that they don't actually know what they want to be as a club, bar a wealthy club who wins things. But in the, in modern football, you do that by basically articulating some sort of um, football philosophy, um, and that, that's that's what they haven't done. It's not like this is what we want to be. This is the way we want to play with everything in the club geared towards that. Remember, this was put to Woodward before, uh, why it, um, why United didn't do what Liverpool and and City do, and actually and do exactly that, articulate a, uh, a new philosophy they want, and build a club around that. And he felt that it was basically, it was too restrictive, that that kind of anchored you to a certain way. 
I mean, I suppose one response to that would be it kind of betrayed Woodward's own lack of understanding of football, which became a problem while he was in the job, despite actual uh, how good he was in other areas. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well. The other the big story of the weekend, um, which we haven't mentioned yet, incredibly, really, uh, is what's been happening at Everton. Where well, apply everything I just said about United to Everton, and then yeah. and then well, some. <laughs> so so they've spent five hundred million pounds on transfers since twenty sixteen. Everton. It's incredible. It's also I think to go back to that point, like what uh, when you're talking about Manchester, you know, you you could say like which club would. Uh, allow a manager to get rid of one of their, their best players to so the director of football, the head of the head of the medical staff, and then sack him a few weeks later. And you could actually pick, was that Manchester United or is that Everton? You know, there is, there are so many similarities. When, when, uh, it like kind of flips uh, Tolstoy, you know, all, all badly managed yeah. clubs are the same. Like, you know, they, they, uh, they all do, they all make the same mistakes. And um, like, it is extraordinary. Is extraordinary. Not that he has been sacked, but not. But the actual months, the last two months preceding Benitez's sacking, is almost more incredible than actually what. They well, they have had the highest weekend. owner, and this is again from Swiss Rambles' uh, convenient Manchester City thread. They have had the highest owner financing over the last five years of any club in the Premier League. Three hundred forty-eight million. Villa are second. Chelsea third. City are only seventh in this table because most of their. Uh, owner the city are by far the biggest over the last decade but they uh, they plowed most of it in in the five years before this um but that's just a phenomenal amount and i've never seen so much money spent to to so little effect i actually dispute the idea that that all i i have i've never seen a club do so little with so much well yeah i mean that's a, it's, a, it's a model in how not spend money and how not to run a club really but that, that, that also speaks to an issue that kind of both clubs like Manchester United, and as we talked about there, these kind of wider structures of football. This is, I mean, Everton actually a good example of a lot of what is wrong in football, and not not just because of what they have done, in the sense that it was almost like with, with, under Mashiri, it was if Everton have been basically kind of entranced by their own history and their own admittedly huge finance over the past few years, but it's it's like that has tricked them to getting in to getting involved in a financial arms race that they could never win. So they're willing to spend as much money as they as they could. But that's the totally the wrong way to go about things because it means they're, they're trying to spend their way out of this against clubs that not just can spend more, but also can afford better. Because, like, I mean, Everton basically spending all this money in what, maybe the fourth or fifth tier of the transfer market? And so you're basically... I remember actually being at a talk with, with, with Ferran Soriano, who whatever about people think of some of his ideas at City or whatever, I mean, there's no doubting he's pretty much kind of one of the most intelligent people in football. Um, but he, he was going to be, he made this analogy about his early days at City and talking about kind of, and this was actually in a financial sense about Manchester United and that, you know, he, he pointed to kind of a boat race and when, when you're behind in a boat race, you don't just follow the leaders, you try something different and go a different route. And that's basically not what Everton did. They just tried to spend their way out of it. And it meant they were spending all this money to sign lesser players. So it, it wasn't just that they, were ever, that they weren't going to catch up with the, with the big six, or as Everton fans would call it, the so-called big six. It, 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 mm. it, it, it meant they've been, um, they've been overtaken by just smarter clubs like Brighton. I mean, there's that story. I mean, okay, Potter's kind of denied it publicly, but there is that story that's been going around that he had no interest in Everton because he just 
why would you leave a a, a well structured club like like Brighton who do everything correctly to one that is basically institutionally and structurally a mess in Everton and well, I, I, yeah. so, but so the, and that's why I say it's kind of like they have to uh, everything that applies to United applies to Everton and that they kind of they have to decide why and how they're spending the money that they will and it's all you know it's almost one of those cases where actually not being able to spend might actually do them good for a while where where you know the, the uh, this construction of a stadium that's been such an issue for Spurs and Arsenal might actually serve them in the sense that I mean what, what that's one thing a lack of money actually brings it's necessity and it's innovation and most innovation in football over the past years has come from Bar Guardiola has come from situations where you have to think a bit a bit more clubs yeah. like Dortmund clubs like Atlanta and Everton could do it a bit of that rather than just going well we've got money here who will we get oh there's a Wobe let's spend 30 million on him well you have to have people who are able to think first you know, I think that could be Everton's problem. Like they might be financially now in a position where they need to innovate, but they don't have any innovators. Uh, um, yeah. And, you know, like Benitez didn't spend a lot of money. And obviously because of the the legacy he brought with him, um, it was always going to turn very quickly. And it did strike me that, you know, the one thing people said, this will not just, this could, this could jeopardize his, his Liverpool uh, legacy. Yeah, no, no. Um, that didn't, you know, when their Liverpool fans were chanting his name, it's like, yeah. well, actually it's the one thing that, that if, if anything has in ha- been enhanced. Yeah. I mean, he could, he could, he could, uh, it was always, it was always going to be okay for Benitez at Everton provided he won the league in his first season. You know, what I mean, if if uh, <laughs> if it took any longer than that, there was always going to be problems. And I think that is quite interesting, you know, because of all the, you know, we can sort of talk about like um, the ways in which you have to be to sort of compete at, at this point in the Premier League. But at some level, you also need to be acceptable to the fans just in a tribal sense. Like, I mean, this was a crazy thing that Everton did. Like, it's just it was just a mad, it was just a mad idea to hire him. And I don't know, I, I don't know if that should condition. I mean, who they're going for next? It does. There does appear to be a bit of Everton DNA in some of the names I've I've mentioned. I mean, obviously Duncan Ferguson, uh, the uh, big dunk, uh, Roberto Martinez has got Everton DNA. Wayne Rooney is Everton gene pool uh, as well, and it seems as though maybe they're thinking. <laughs> I, I, I was think I was thinking about Rooney. It's actually mad that given what the situation Derby are in, where there's actually there's some mild threat of liquidation, and. Mm. And you know they've had twenty-one points deducted. <laughs> that Rooney would be tarnishing his career to go from that to Everton. Well, Derby are actually actually going great at the moment. They're not even bottom of the league anymore, despite their um, twenty-one point uh, deductions. So, you know, Rooney's got something about him, as they say. Uh, and uh, I would like. I mean, I think after after having Rafa, they should get somebody like Duncan Ferguson or Wayne Rooney. They should. I mean, uh, you know. Well, yeah. I almost I don't really feel as though there's anybody who I'd feel confident you could parachute into, into Everton and would, and would do a brilliant job. So I, I I feel as though they might as well get somebody who Everton fans actually like and that would at least tick that box because I mean, you know, I don't know if, if any of the other boxes are in their power to tick. Yeah, I think again, but to go back to Miguel's point about innovation, I think you'll see now Everton cleaving to their tradition and 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 all that kind of stuff and you know repentant and and swearing swearing off uh, any dangerous move and, and swearing never to stray from Everton DNA again as they uh, appoint Wayne Rooney or uh, Big Dunk or whoever. 
Well, I hope uh, I hope that's going to be in the news this week. Uh, for now, it's been great talking to you both uh, after that weekend. Thanks, Ken. Cheers, Ken. Uh, there's a winning mentality. I see it in their eyes. They've got glazed eyes. Got glazed eyes. Glazed eyes. What I said to him at the end, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, I said, are you ready to win a World Cup? Because we're in it to win it. They've got to trust me. I'm taking these guys into battle. Yeah. And I'm doing my own stapling. Look, we're not getting carried away, but we're now getting to that point now where we are inspiring. Does a, a struggling salesman start turning up on a bicycle? He turns up in a newer car, Deception. So what becomes of you, my love? Along the way, we're going to have fun. When they have finally stripped you off. I try and laugh several times a day. The handbags and the glad rags. Sergeant Major spends all his time training his men to be killers and, and make sure that they arrive for meetings on time and dressed in the right way. He doesn't polish his own boots. The bosses are panicking. They're going, oh, cut back. Non-negotiable. The way we play football is non-negotiable. No word yet from Tottenham celebrity superfan David O'Doherty about what he makes of the Arsenal shenanigans, but we can probably hazard a guess, I'm sure. Doddles is back on the World Service three times a week with Isolating Season 3, covering all the major topics as always. Here's a quick clip to give you a sense of the weighty topics he's covered this past week. One of my favourite features is when listeners get in touch with the technology failures of their older parents. It's called, what Murph? Google. And this was a good one. Jesus. First one from Harold Hainsworth, which sounds like, not a real name, but a character from an Ealing comedy. I have a Google adjacent. My mom still rocks a George Foreman grill, but she does not call it a George Foreman grill. She calls it, take out the Harvey Norman for the burgers. Now, Harvey Norman, (laughs) listeners in Australia, listeners in Ireland, Harvey Norman is a sort of discount white goods and furniture store. Not the former world heavyweight champion. Uh, Harvey Norman never fought Muhammad Ali. It would be very different. The rumble in the jungle. Muhammad Ali just pounding against the top half of a fridge freezer. But that is essentially the essence of a Google. Thank you, Harold. Now, in fairness to that listener's mother, Murph, the top half of a fridge freezer might have done as good a job as George Foreman did on the night of the Rumble in the Jungle. I'm just saying. Foreman's just, well, tactics I, left a little bit to be uh, If Ali's doing the rope it up and the fridge freezer is just standing in the middle of the ring, it doesn't make... I mean, it's not... You know, styles, styles make fights. And that doesn't sound mm-hmm. like a very stylish uh, or a very good fight to me, Owen. That's all I'm saying. To hear all the isolating episodes as well as every single episode of the regular pod... You can sign up to the World Service on secondcaptains.com. It costs just €5 Euro a month plus VAT. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank, thank you, Owen. Thank, thank you, you Ken. Thanks, Emil. Take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.